This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And Acuna with a deep drive towards left center field. Marisnik to the wall, and Ronald puts him on the board. Acuna means business, and he cuts the lead in half. It's a 4-2 ball game. Almost on one foot, one leg, one-handed. That's going to drop in for a base hit. Flying around third base, Michael Harris. The throw from McKinstry cut off. It's an RBI single down for Ronald. And ever since his home run, this team has taken off. Good Lord, Michael Lorenzen. There's a deep drive to center. Way back, fire away, big boy. Off the batter's eye. Watch where this hits. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com national content editor. Today is Thursday, June 15th. We have a lot to talk about. We are going to start by asking if Corbin Carroll has caught or surpassed Ronald Acuna in the NL MVP race because Corbin Carroll has been great. We're going to talk about the A's, who had actually won a bunch of games in a row, if you can believe that. Uh, we're going to talk about this weekend's Cardinals-Mets series, which seems a little bit different than you might have expected at the beginning of the year. Uh, Shohei Otani did another cool thing, so we're obviously going to talk about that. And then, as always, Matt and I end with a couple of guys you should know more about. Uh, first, I was thinking about the MVP race, and for like the entire season, and I know we've got a lot of season left to go, it seemed like it was Ronald Acuna's not only uh, in the lead, but like by a runaway. You know, he's stealing bases, he's crushing home runs, he's having a phenomenal season, like he's been unbelievably good. And then when I looked yesterday at the Fangraphs wins above replacement leaderboard, I noticed that Corbin Carroll is essentially tied with him. And I know Corbin Carroll has been great, but I was a little surprised to see that. And then in our recent MLB.com MVP poll of uh, almost 50 writers, Ronald Acuna had 42 first place votes and Corbin Carroll had zero. Now, I'm one of those writers, so I'm as guilty as anybody. Luisa Rice had one. Mm, not so sure about that. Freddie Freeman had two. I think, Matt, you were one of those two guys. Is Corbin Carroll actually in the MVP race now, or has Acuna gotten off to such a big head start that it's still his to lose? I mean, I think it's still his to lose. I mean, even even just yesterday, he homered in both games of a doubleheader, so Acuna is still playing quite well. But it's hard to say Corbin snuck up on us, but for the purposes of MVP, he clearly has, right? I mean, I went to the MLB.com leaderboard this morning, and the default setting is OPS, which, you know, maybe not the, not the most advanced metric, but a good quick and dirty measure. And Corbin Carroll leads the majors in OPS. So, like, when you go to the stats page, the first page name you see is Corbin Carroll. And by basic metrics, by advanced metrics, he's been incredible. I think people just kind of don't, maybe subconsciously, like, oh, rookies can't win MVP. So it's just almost like don't even think about him as a candidate. But at this point, I think he very much needs to be a candidate because, you know, he's basically matched Acuna. They're... There's somewhat similar profiles in the sense that they're both like very athletic outfielders who do a lot of things, especially offensively. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there. And he's he's matching Acuna. And it's pretty incredible for rookie. I mean, we're looking at an, what could be an all-time great rookie season. He is rookie of the year sewn up, 
right? Like I was looking at the nearest competition in the NL. It's like James Outman, Francisco Alvarez, I mean, Kodai Senga, Spencer Steer. I, he's going to win. Is there a word that means more than unanimously? Like, can you win more votes than our cast? Because that, that's what's going to happen. And like, we all picked him to win the rookie of the year. In case you're wondering, uh, only two players have ever won MVP and rookie of the year in the same season. 1975, Fred Lynn. 2001, Ichiro Suzuki. Um, he has been so and, good and, over the And Ichiro obviously is like an imperfect comp because he was coming over as an accomplished sure. star from Japan in his theoretical prime of his career. So like Fred Lynn is like the only sort of real – I'm not saying Ichiro should not have won rookie of the year. He was a rookie. He deserved it. But like it's a – it's not exactly apples to apples. No, for sure. Um, Corbin Carroll has been so good over the last month. He has slugged 768 over the last month. That's how he's gotten into this conversation. And he had such high expectations coming into the year. And he somehow overperformed them. Like, how do you like a, you know, he was up briefly last year. So we have a little bit of his numbers from 2022. He has increased his hard hit rate by a lot. He has dropped his strikeout rate by a lot. And he's increased his walk rate <laughs> by a lot. Like, what more could you possibly ask for? Um he so I want to bring up one negative thing. He is maybe uh, we're going to have a, a new stack as metric soon about like the value of throwing arms in the outfield. Um, he's going to be less than that, which was a little surprising to me. He's like the exact opposite of Acuna, where I think he's a better defender in the sense of getting to the ball. But Acuna has got a great throwing arm and Carroll does not. On the other hand. That update will also include some base running values, and he's tied for second best in baseball because he's extremely fast, and he crushes the ball. And the longer this goes on, um, the better that deal they signed him to looks. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, there's always a bit of a risk. I don't remember what it was, like a lot of years and a lot of dollars, uh, well over $100 million. And there's always a little bit of risk, right? And now if you're Arizona, you're like, yeah, that's that's going to work out for us. We are, we are happy with this one. And... Um, I still don't think they're going to win the division, but I do think they're going to make playoffs, and that's going to be cool. I'm excited for a Diamondbacks. I don't know who they'll play. Braves, whatever. Series. The the contract he signed, I think, like in terms of years and dollars, was was not dissimilar from the one Acuna signed with the Braves a few years ago. That while we're comparing the two players, the difference was Acuna had done it for a year in the major. Like he he basically had a full season of star level performance where Carroll had basically six weeks of very good performance, but that could have been not fluky, but like it was still early enough that you were like, we're not fully sure that this guy is a star. We think he's a star, but he signed it in spring training this year. So it was definitely some some speculation on the part of the D-backs. But obviously, I mean, good for Corbin Carroll, all sorts of financial security, good for the Diamondbacks. You know, it's 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 similar to like the Wander Franco deal, right? Where the players for these franchises who have traditionally seen their best talent sort of hit free agency and go elsewhere. Okay, we know this guy not necessarily going to play his entire career in Arizona, but if you're a D-backs fan, you know he's locked in till for like the next seven or eight years, which is great for the fan base. I think it's good. For, I think it's good for baseball when when stars stay with the teams that they came up with as long as possible, um, and. Um, this is like one of the new, the new wave of of stars, and I mean the D, the D backs are, are a really compelling team. Um, and do you? I guess right now they're what they're two and a half up on the Dodgers. I would still probably take the Dodgers um, for the reasons that probably anyone would expect. But good for them, man. It's we're 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 closing on halfway through the season, and um, this has been one of the better stories in in baseball this year. 
Can I ask you quickly? We're talking about how Acuna and Carroll are like at the top of the war leaderboards and having great seasons. Why did you incorrectly vote for Freddie Freeman in our MLB.com MVP ballot? Why? Um, I think that there's no question I subconsciously was like, well, a rookie can't win MVP, which was kind of stupid. Um, and it was more the conversation that, I mean, I've kind of brought this up a couple of times on this podcast where I was like, Freddie Freeman, I think by going to, to Los Angeles has kind of become a little underrated. Um because I think his free agency was kind of weird and he was so associated with Atlanta and then he went and joined this big market team that's loaded with stars and he's not the face of that team like he was in Atlanta. So he kind of got a notice. But what's actually happened is he's not only, I mean, he's been pretty consistent his whole career. He's actually, his numbers have actually been a little bit better. Like last year was his best season ever in terms of weighted rates created plus in a full season. And when I looked a few days ago, this year he was he hadn't even higher way to runs greater plus than he did last year. Granted, we're not at a full season yet, um, which I think is pretty remarkable for a player that five years ago, I probably would have been like, eh, good player, you know, not a, probably not a Hall of Famer. Now I think he's like, um, he's like on course to almost be a lock for the Hall of Fame. And it was a little bit of a, I don't want to say a protest vote. It was more of like a, hey, let's acknowledge that Freddie Freeman's kind of incredible. And I think his underrated is such a loaded word, um, maybe being overlooked a little bit for his greatness. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, he's definitely a slam dunk Hall of Famer to me. I feel like you know, leaving Atlanta and going to LA, all the talk last year was uh, how disappointed he was and the crying and all that, and everybody sort of forgot that he was just great. Like he had an amazingly good season, and he's doing it again. We will take a quick break, and we will be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We move into our three banner minimum where we pick three interesting topics of the week. And I feel like we are obligated to talk about the A's who actually won seven games in a row against decent teams. Uh, They won two in Pittsburgh. They swept Milwaukee in Milwaukee. And then they won the first two games at home against Tampa Bay uh, before losing last night. I should point out briefly, like, Obviously, we are aware that they might end up moving to Las Vegas. We just haven't talked about it that much because I'm not super interested in the ins and outs of the Nevada legislature. (laughs) So at some point, that will be a done deal, and we can talk about what that means. But for now, I'm interested in the fact that this team that looked like it was going to be the worst team of all time or close to it won seven games in a row against good teams. It's like the most amazing baseball thing that that's a thing that could happen. Like that can't happen in the NFL, right? Like an awful team could win a game, and you're like, that's great. That's great that we didn't go winless for the whole season entering the streak this is an incredible stat the a's had a 194 winning percentage and uh according to the elias sports bureau if you look at their seven game winning streak it is the tied for a longest winning streak by a team that had a a winning percentage under 200 since 1895 The, the louisville colonels and the 1885 detroit wolverines definitely real teams that i didn't make up but you wouldn't know if i had did you know the A's don't have the worst record in baseball anymore? 
is this a top is this going to be a topic about the A's or the Royals? Um, I'm not sure. Pour one out for Vinny Pasquantino, who injured his shoulder. It's out for the year. We should talk about the Royals separately at some point. But like, I want to focus on the A's. That's so cool, right? Like, there's a lot going on around that franchise right now, and for them to do that against good teams on the road, it's incredible. I did not think they'd win seven games the rest of the year, much less in a row. It's it's a turnaround. I certainly, <laughs> I'll admit, I did did not expect. But and we've we've talked about. I mean, their offense has sort of it's not good, but it's. It's credible. I mean, Brent Rooker and Ryan Noda were guy or two of our guys earlier this season, and they've both been very good with weighted runs created plus both like close to 150. Um, whether or not that's sustainable over a full season remains to be seen, but like you can't just throw it out the window. It has happened and it has helped them win games. Esther Ruiz has 33 stolen bases, and like that's something. Like he's very good at that. JD Blade has been hitting reasonably well for them, which is like a nice turn of events for a team that like needs all the good news it can. And it was, you know, so there's some like sort of nice things going on with the roster. It's good to like, you don't want to see a team be like historically bad. And it's just like, it's kind of a bummer. And then obviously the, 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 the background of like the team maybe moving to Las Vegas made it even, makes it even like a lot more, a lot, lot more, uh, you know, sort of grim, but it's been fun to see them win games, and it is incredible that they no longer have the worst record um, in in the league. Uh, I know you said you want to talk about the Royals, but I have to make one comment about the Royals. Um, watching, I, I was watching the uh, uh, Orioles Blue Jays game last night and seeing Ryan O'Hearn <laughs> hitting cleanup for the Orioles <laughs> and. A team that's like gonna make the playoff could make the playoffs, like a, a a guy the Royals just like cast off who's hitting cleanup for the Royals and has hit pretty well. Again, I'm not sure it's sustainable, but man, there's just nothing going right for them these days. You mentioned the Vinny Pas Vinny Pascantino injury. It's just it's all it's not it's not good. I gotta defend them on that. I don't know what Ryan O'Hearn's deal is right now. He was bad for like five years there. <laughs> like if I, if the I'm problem not... was coaching and like the Orioles figured out something that the Royals couldn't, that's one thing. But just letting him go where he had like an OPS of six hundred every year. I can't kill them on that one. It's it's not even it's not even a like, oh, they screwed up. It's more just like you kind of throw your hands up, you know, just to just it, it just kind of feels like more just bad 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 I don't know, bad luck, bad news for the Royals. Just kind of, you know, uh, adding insult injury, as they say. Without Vinny, he's like their best player. I mean, Sal Perez and whatever. Uh, Fangraphs actually has both teams projected to finish 58 and 104. And that's an objectively bad season. But you have a team or two losing 100 games every year. Like I think we have this winning streak alone has maybe moved us beyond. Is it going to be the 1962 Mets? Is it going to be the 1899 Cleveland Spiders? Now, if the trade deadline comes and they trade Brent Rooker and Ryan Noda, then I don't know what that's going to look like over the last two months of the year. Um, you have to split this team into offense and pitching. I think the offense is bad, but it's you know a regular kind of bad. They are 24th in weighted runs created plus. It's basically the Reds and the White Sox, like, but fine. Um, you know, third to last in runs. But in June, they have hit as well as the Dodgers have. <laughs> We're only halfway through June, but even so, that's really interesting. And the problem was like the pitching the first month. That was objectively terrible but listen to this right in march or excuse me in april uh 772 era just awful in may 554 era which is bad and in june a 437 era like these are positive trends uh james caprillion had an era over 12 in april 
He's got an ERA of three in June. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a three ERA pitcher for the rest of the year. I don't think the pitching staff is good, but they they're playing hard. Like there's a small part of me, and I don't think this will actually happen. If at the end of the year, and you're uh, whoever is going to vote for the American League Manager of the Year, right? And you're going to have Kevin Cash is going to get a ton of votes, and you know, uh, uh, liking on the guy from uh, Baltimore, uh, he's going to get a ton of votes. Somebody should give Marcotte some votes for like holding this mess together and actually making it like competent baseball. That cannot be easy. Um, that's that's an interesting point. I, honestly, I would not be. I don't think he will win, but I will not be surprised for the reasons you mentioned if he gets um, some second or third place votes. Uh, move on to our second topic. So the Mets and the Cardinals are playing this weekend. Those are both teams are usually successful. It's gonna be weird because both teams are kind of a mess right now. The Cardinals are twenty seven and forty two. The Cardinals have the worst record in the National League. Definitely a statement I thought I would be saying in a league that has the Rockies and the Nationals in it. They were swept by the Giants, and it was bad. They were down to the last strike of the game and with a, with a, a lead, and then Mike Ostremski hit a game-tying homer, and then they lost. And anyway, the Cardinals are off to their worst start in a season since 1978. Now, because they do play in the National League Central, which is bad, they still have, uh, according to Fangraphs, a 12% chance of making the playoffs. But that is entirely because they have a 12% chance of winning the division. Like, there is no path to the wild card here. You win the division or you go home. Um, and then the Mets had lost eight of nine games in some painful fashion. There was one really bad walk-off loss in uh, Atlanta. And uh, I guess a couple in a row. Pete Alonso was hurt. And then they had a walk-off win against the Yankees last night, which was a very weird and entertaining game that I enjoyed a lot. And now the Mets are in a position where they only have a 2% chance of winning the division because the Braves are very good, but still at 32% odds of making the playoffs. And at least here in New York, there's starting to be conversation of like, well, what will Steve Cohen do? He didn't spend all this money just to have the team be a disaster. It's like true. But I also don't think he got to where he is by making rash decisions. Like, do you want to fire Showalter? Fine. But I'm pretty sure you and I almost verbatim said back in the the winter, uh, two things, right? None of this matters if Scherzer and Verlander aren't healthy and successful, and the bat is missing, or the lineup is missing a power bat. And obviously, more has happened since then. I find those two statements to still continue to be true. Uh, no question. So I want, I want to address a couple of things you said. First of all, I, I appreciate you start off by saying the Mets, a team that is usually successful, um, they've had their moments. And I say this, <laughs> you know, I say this as a a long time Mets. Uh, I'll call. You know, I'm a longtime Mets fan, so uh, I think it's funny you would say that. But uh, yes, last year they did 101 games, so maybe some recency bias is is at play. Um, so why don't we start? We'll start with the Mets, and we'll get back to the Cardinals because I think this 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 is one of those series that if you circled on the ca- you would have circled this on the calendar at the beginning of the season, be like, oh, this is an interesting interesting series. Father's Day weekend, good weather. Like this will be a nice series with the Padres kind of getting things together. I think these have been the two most disappointing teams in baseball um to this point and you could probably debate either one depending on your 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 point of view. Regarding the Mets what you said about Cohen, I mean, he actually had comments to I think the New York Post this week that were basically in line with what you just said. We basically said what what is blowing it up going to do right now? Like it's not like I suddenly have a better a better alternative at manager. I can't like change the entire roster. I mean, Scherzer had kind of been a little bit better of late, but then he's had a couple of bad starts in a row. Verlander's been pretty good, but still had like he's been two good starts, one bad start. They've been they've both been below expectations, and so has you know Francisco Lindor. And I grouped them together because it's like those are three of probably the 
top 20 paid players in baseball, maybe top 15. I'm not exactly sure um, for the season, somewhere in that range. And like those are supposed to be the players that as much as as much as raise your ceiling are supposed to raise your floor. Be like, hey, we have these like high priced, like star level players that should like at the very least make us a, a reasonably good team. And if other things go right, we'll be a great team. Well, these are the, like their floor is being like taken out from under them because like, you know, the three, I recognize not all about money, but like they're just not playing very well, you know? And until they do, it's really hard to make up for the other kind of weird stuff that's going on. As you mentioned, they lack the power bat and Alonzo's hurt. So the lack of power is even more glaring. So I don't want to say it's predictable, but it's like, it's kind of easy to see now, like how it's gone this way. On a scale of zero to 10, how funny is it that Gary Sanchez is killing it in San Diego? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it'd matter. Be Alvarez has been good. It, exactly. It'd be funny. It'd be funnier if like they had sent, sent Alvarez back to the minors and it was like Thomas Nito and Omar Noir is playing and that that was like sort of the, the path they had chosen. But like Alvarez has been good. And, you know, it's, it kind of goes back a little bit to like the Ryan O'Hearn thing where like Gary Sanchez popping somewhere is like not that surprising. I mean, there have now been multiple teams that have taken a chance on the guy, and it has not has not really uh, really worked out. But hey, good, good good for Gary Sanchez. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be too nihilist about this, right? Like Mets fans are furious that Daniel Vogelback exists on this planet right now, right? And I get it. Like, is this the best use of a roster spot? Maybe not. Not that you know, Mark Vientos hasn't been very good. Could you trade him out for someone who could actually hit or play the field or whatever? Like, fine, I've, I have no problems with that. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Francisco Lindor is not having a good season, right? Pitching staff has been a shambles. The bullpen has been kind of a mess. Who fixes that? You do, you kind of don't. And I, they're too talented not to get it together, but we're talking like third wild card spot. I think it helps that nobody in the central is any good, but of course now the Diamondbacks are good. And when you look at it, the NL West might have three wild card teams and the NL East might have three wild card teams. And no, that doesn't add up. Maybe two wildcard teams because you need somebody to win the Central by law, unfortunately. I feel like the Mets might not make the playoffs. I mean, if, you know, my guess right now is that they probably don't. But like, as you said, there's there's, um, reason to believe, I think, that they'll probably get together at some point. It looked like things had kind of stabilized a couple weeks ago uh, after they swept the Phillies. I think they won five in a row. And then things kind of fell apart again after the Alonzo injury. So um, one thing I noticed today, which I hadn't fully realized, and this maybe is a a good sign for the uh, for the Mets, maybe, is that, like, they do have some flukishly low batting averages on ball and play on their roster. It's, like, almost comical. Um, and, you you know, supposedly with the shift ban, that was supposed to, like, improve batting average on balls and play a little bit, but, like, some of it is cratered. I did not even realize until I looked today, Pete Alonso is a 199 batting average on balls and play. Um, Francisco Lindor is at 237. Um, so there's... Francisco Alvarez is also at 237. So, like, there's some... I don't want to say bad luck but like th- there's some stuff going on under the hood that maybe especially on the offensive side that hopefully will turn around but they really need Scherzer to pitch better he looked really he just he did look really bad against the Yankees the other night like really like hanging like o2 counts like hanging sliders which definitely he seems like he could the kind of pitcher who could figure it out but it, it's it's getting to the point where you do have to have like a little bit of concern that maybe like he has you know lost a little something and maybe that you know at this point in his career, that might be enough to sort of turn him from being like star to just a guy. Let's talk about something far less depressing. The 2023 St. Louis Cardinals are the other side of this, uh, off to the worst start since 1978, as I said. And it's it's not just the numbers on the record. For me, a lot of it's the quotes. Like they just seem 
down in the dumps. I saw it. So Wilson Contreras is hitting a buck 98 right now. And he had a quote, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing, where he's basically like, I've completely lost my confidence. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy, I don't know. I wonder if, let's say, losing your job like three weeks into the season and being thrown under the bus might have had something to do with that. And, you know, Nolan Arenado is not fielding well, which is a weird thing. Like the defensive metrics think he's having a lousy season. And I don't think he disagrees. This is going to be the year of the gold glove streak. Ends. This is going to be Cabrian Hayes' year. And when you look up and down the roster, it's like Goldschmidt's been very good. Arnado has been better at the plate after a rough start. Uh, you know, Nolan Gorman's been good. Jordan Walker came back. He's been good. It's a talented team, except the outfield's been hurt and their catching is a disaster and their pitching doesn't miss bats. And aside from that, how is the play? Blah, yada, yada. So I don't, I think I joked about this already. Can, we need to delete all the episodes of this podcast where we said the Cardinals are definitely the division. I'm out. I'm out. It's not going to be them. Pirates, maybe. Milwaukee, maybe. Cincinnati, maybe. It's not going to be the Cardinals. It sure doesn't look like it. You know, 15 games under 500, um, the the problems are ab- abundant. And our colleague, Will Leach, had a piece. And Will, Will is a well-known Cardinals fan and a well-known big Paul Goldschmidt fan. And he had a piece on MLB.com yesterday that I thought was, like, really made a very compelling argument. Now, I understand, A, like, the Cardinals may not want to trade star trade away their star players, and B, to trade away a star player, you have to find the right team who wants them and offers you right value. Get that out of the way. But his argument was that, like, the Cardinals should be looking to trade Paul Goldschmidt right now. And I thought he laid out, like, a few really good points, um, one of which was basically, like, they don't really have anyone else with a lot of trade value. Goldschmidt's under contract for another year after this. He would He's having a great year again, so he actually probably could net you a lot, especially with now DH everywhere. Every team, ALNNL, could find a spot for him on their roster. He's kind of older than you think, so like at some point they're going to need to reset, and he's not probably not part of like the next reset of the team. Right now they have a star young prospect without a position and is blocked at third base by Arnold Arenado, and that's Jordan Walker, who's playing left field, and it's not natural for him out there, but he would probably be... Just fine at first base. So you can actually like create a spot for Jordan Walker. And they really need young pitching. Basically, Will's argument was like the pitching's bad this year, and there's no reason to believe the pitching is going to be any better next year. Like it's, you know, Wainwright for for whatever you think of him is going to be gone. Both Jack Flaherty and uh, Jordan Montgomery are free agents. You know, Steven Matz is obviously not very good right now. Um, Miles Michaelis is fine, but like he's not a number one starter. So he's like Goldschmidt's like your kind of your one shot if you want to add some young pitching to your to your system, like he could be the guy that do, that does it. And I was like, oh, well, this is a pretty compelling argument. And I don't think they're going to do it, but they'd be able to. I mean, I do think there'd be teams that out there that would would want him and would give up real stuffer for a year and a half of Paul Goldschmidt. I think that is very well thought out. And yet the Cardinals do not sell and will not sell. I mean, at a certain point, it's like before that, are they making changes? Are they firing the manager? Are they firing the general manager? You know, you got to go, you got to kind of go down the decision tree of how they got there. If they were to trade Goldschmidt, and who I assume probably has a no trade clause. Um, he does. Yeah. Will, will had some teams. I I had four teams that came to mind and there's a little bit of overall. The, the first four teams that came to mind to me, the Phillies, because Hoskins is hurt, and then I'll have a first baseman, and I know they say Harper might, but whatever, DH exists. Uh, the Padres, who will always make a trade, and I don't love Jake Cronenworth at first base. The Angels, just because they are going to be so desperate to support Shohei Otani while they have him. Uh, and Baltimore, despite your undying love for Ryan O'Hearn, I think could definitely <laughs> use a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. Now, Will had also mentioned uh, the Giants, which I guess makes a little bit of sense. The Marlins, which is never going to happen, but I agree with that. And um, just for kicks, I guess the Mets, 
because that would be funny. You know, I guess Paul Goldschmidt could play DH and Dan Vogelback could go literally anywhere else. Um, I, those are all great teams. I cannot see this happening. I can't. It, it seems completely out of character for the Cardinals. So I, for those for those reasons, I would agree with you. But I thought it was a really interesting thought exercise. And man, that would really spice up the old trade deadline if suddenly Paul Goldschmidt Paul Goldschmidt was out there. So, you know, we'll wait and see. But right now, this what could have been a very, like, fun, interesting June series amongst two contenders is, like, kind of, I don't know if bleak is the right word, but it's not it's not what it might have been cracked up to be a few weeks ago. I was going to say, now that we've completely trashed on this series, it's going to be three days of compelling, well-played baseball. <laughs> All right. Um, our third topic, anytime Shohei Odani does something cool, which, like, happens all the time, we are obligated to talk about it. Last night, he had a home run. That happens a lot. It's his AL leading 21st home run. However... Uh, he hit it 453 feet to left field. So in all the years StatCast has been tracking, there have only been four home runs hit uh, to the hitter's opposite field of 450 feet. However, of those four, two of them were in cores, which I do not count, which means there have only been two opposite field home runs of 450 feet hit not on the moon. Joey Gallo had one back in 2017. Shohei Otani had one. Last night at 116.1 miles an hour off the bat, it is the hardest hit opposite field home run ever tracked by a lefty. As I said, you wouldn't think there were more things he could keep doing, and yet he keeps doing them. And then I was very surprised to look up this morning. Did you know, because I did not know this, he's having his best ever hitting season? I didn't think he could do better, but if you look at it, he's got his best OPS, his best slugging, his best OPS plus, and oh right, uh, he's allowing only five hits per nine as a pitcher because he pitches too. He's, he's, surely he can't be a great pitcher and lead the league in home runs. Um, the Otani for MVP argument is not over, especially now that Judge is going to miss so much time. And if you were to look at combined wins above replacement, which Fangraphs offers, you're looking at pitching wins above replacement and batting, number one in baseball, just slightly above Ronald Acuna Jr., Shohei Otani, who's doing the thing again. He looks great, even though Mike Trout kind of doesn't so much, and the Angels are still like in a whole issue. I every other day, it's like, oh, there's another cool Otani thing. It never ends. This is great. I mean, the the home run he hit last night may not have been his most impressive home run in the series. The night before, he had two home runs, one of which was a home run. It was basically a dead center, but actually slightly to the opposite field. I don't know exactly how these things are characterized, but it was like slightly to the left field side of center field, 459 feet. So even farther than the one that he hit last night and also punctuated. He now has this like new bat flip where he just kind of, it's a very cool casual, just takes the bat in the right hand and just kind of like flings it to the side, um, which it's, it's not demonstrative. It's a little more subtle. It's very it's 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 a good one. I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan. You know what else? I mean, I'll say what else can you just say about Shohei Otani while we go and say a bunch more things about Shohei Otani? Um, I did not fully realize that this was his best offensive season. Now I see it. Doesn't surprise me. It feels like he's been just raking, especially of late. And you mentioned Mike Trout. Uh, I don't know if you saw the piece that Tom Verducci did in Sports Illustrated. It's pretty interesting the way that teams have just been attacking Mike Trout with fastballs and how much he's been struggling. With fa- he's getting thrown fastballs like the higher rate than anyone in baseball, like more than Stephen Kwan. Usually, fastball thrown at you is an indication that pitchers don't think you can hit it and hit it out of the park. So the fact that Mike Trout is getting bombarded with fastballs is really interesting, and he's been pretty pedestrian for about six weeks now. Um, and it was pretty eye-opening and kind of sad to see. Now, I'm not saying like, oh, Mike Trout's washed, but it's— I am. I'm saying that. You know, he's on the other— he- <laughs> I'm not saying that. He turns 32 in a couple of weeks. 
He's had a number of injuries the last couple of years. He has not played uh, 120 games in a season. Obviously, 2020 was shortened since 2019. And hopefully he gets there this year. Like he's healthy and he's playing. But um, man, could you imagine? So the Angels are six games over 500. Could you imagine they finally have uh, a decent pitching staff, right? A lot of the additions from last year worked. And Otani's having an all-time great season again. And it turns out they don't have peak Mike Trout because it took them long enough to get there. I don't want to say he's bad, right? He's still hitting 25% above average. Like a bad Mike Trout season is still pretty good for everybody else. But at 32, just about, the conversation I think is here where it's like he's not the clear, no doubt answer for the best player in baseball anymore because Otani is that answer. And he's still going to be a Hall of Famer. He's still going to be great. But now you're starting to wonder, are we into that smooth decline of Mike Trout? Yeah, um, I'd rather not th- think about that, but it's possible we're facing that. I mean, I'm looking at the AL standings right now. I mean, the Angels are 38 and 32, which is a good. I mean, if you'd asked them before, you know, if you had said like before the season, Angels, what are you hoping for? Like, this is a, a reasonably good outcome thus far, but they're still on the outside looking in. Um, I'm looking at the, in the AL in the AL wild card picture. I'm looking at it. You know, they're basically they're basically tied with Toronto and the team that like I think that they're probably most likely to be able to catch might be the Astros, who now Jordan Alvarez is going to be out for a month. Lance McCullers is not coming back this season. There are some real like reasons to be concerned about the Astros. So I think they might have an easier time catching the overtaking the Astros than the Blue Jays or the Yankees or the Orioles. Those are the teams that they're chasing right now for the wild card spots. So this it, they're set up to make the, this like they are in a position to actually make the playoffs this year and it will be interesting to see what they do at the deadline if their behavior changes as a result knowing that this is probably Otani's last year in Anaheim because it's actually kind of going well for them and they're still not in playoff position yeah this should put to rest any talk about will they trade him because I don't think they were going to trade him anyway and certainly not that they're still like in the playoff race so they're they're not going to trade him and then he's going to walk away and they're going to get nothing and that's going to be a whole other thing before we get to our guys uh, a brief mini guy we, I'm sure we talked a lot last winter about, hey, you know who I really find interesting because he's going to get out of Colorado is Carlos Estevez. And this spring, it was weird. You couldn't throw a strike like at all. I thought he was completely broken this spring. Well, here he is 30 games into the season and he has allowed five earned runs. He's got a 150 ERA. Turns out, again, it's sometimes it's difficult to know. Is it just getting out of altitude? Is it that the Rockies like don't do a great job of supporting their pitchers? Probably a little bit of both. I don't know. But here he is, and he looks great. And it just feels like that was one of the more predictable things, that he was going to look great because there was a lot to like about him. Um, so cute, you know, kudos to the, the Angels because we did talk a lot about how they needed to just improve their depth. Um, and they did that. It hasn't all worked out, right? But, you know, Hunter Renfro has been competent. And, uh, you know, Zach Nito has actually been pretty good since they called him up. So I, as always, um, I hope that this happens. Like, I hope that we see the Angels in October. I'm not actually convinced it will happen, but you're right, the Astros are more vulnerable than ever. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back and talk about our guys you need to know a little bit more about. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, Matt and I like to highlight a couple of guys you should know a little bit more about. My guy plays for the Colorado Rockies, and he is hitting 339, 397, 613 in 18 games. And my God, the tools are loud. I am talking about Nolan Jones. He has already shown he has a great arm. He has two throws over 100 miles an hour. He hit a giant walk-off home run against the Padres of 472 feet. It's the longest walk-off we've ever uh, tracked. He has a decent enough club. He robbed a home run in right field at Fenway recently, and he stole a base in four straight games. Do I think he's going to continue with an OPS over 1,000 as he has now? No, I don't. But since he was acquired from Cleveland last winter in a trade I'll get back to in a second, and then they didn't really give him much of a chance and they sent him back to AAA, it's really interesting to see that he's had such a great start as part of what might finally be a transition to the Colorado youth movement. Charlie Blackman broke his hand. CJ Crone hurt his back. Chris Bryant's been out with a bad heel by maybe not choice, but maybe by force. They are playing some of the young guys, Brenton Doyle so far, Ezekiel Tovar, and it's been interesting. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about how Nolan Jones got here, because it's funny to look back on the trade. He was a second round pick back in 2016 by Cleveland out of high school. Four picks above Ryan Reynolds, nine picks above Pete Alonso, 11 above Bo Bichette. It's a pretty fruitful second round. And he slugged pretty well, 468 in his minors career, but with a ton of case. Uh, struck out 148 times in 2019. Got into 28 games last year with Cleveland. Not that great, but, you know, 28 games. And then was traded to Colorado in November. And uh, he talked about this to a podcast called Baseball Isn't Boring. And I quote, to be honest with you, the first date was horrible. It's horrible. I was devastated. I played for seven years and became best friends with all the guys I came up through the system with. I was on vacation and it ruined my whole day, which is a tremendous bummer. But now he's crushing it. And you could view that trade as making Cleveland look very bad because Cleveland's offense is very bad. And here you have Nolan Jones is absolutely killing it. Well, the guy that he got back was Juan Brito, who is a middle infielder with more walks than strikeouts at two levels of the minors, whereas Jones has a 32% strikeout rate. And man, just trading a big power, big whiff guy for a contacting middle infielder just seemed like the most Cleveland thing you can do. I'm not actually defending this. I think they need a power strikeout bat like Jones more than they need another contacting middle infielder. But the thing about Jones, too, uh, his brother, Peyton, is a hockey goalie. He was a four-year starter at Penn State, all-time leader in wins, gains, shutouts, played parts of two seasons in the minors for the Avalanche, and most recently, and I'm so glad we get to talk about this, went to Europe to play for the Nottingham Panthers of the Elite Ice Hockey League. Not a circuit I ever thought we would talk about on this show, but we did. Nolan Jones is probably going to have too much swing and miss in his game to be an all-star but man, are those tools loud and they're letting him play. Like, I think Rockies fans that I know are just excited to see him and to, you know, they don't want more Mike Moustakai, right? <laughs> they want Nolan Joneses and they're finally getting a chance to see him. How cool would it have been if his brother had made it with the Avalanche and he right. was playing for the Rockies? <laughs> right. I was, I thought the exact same thing. I don't know why, you know, he left after two seasons, maybe wasn't progressing or whatever, but I had the exact same thought. That would have been cool. I mean, this is, I mean, this is exactly the kind of player that, the the Rockies should be giving a chance to right a guy who sort of had to, was a kind of a prospect didn't really like pop in Cleveland like maybe they would have hoped bring him in he obviously has huge tools like give him a chance like it's it's much better as you said than more Mike Mustakis and they're sort of being forced to play the kids because of injuries and hopefully they they kind of just keep rolling with it because if nothing else if you're a fan of the Rockies it's like okay I can at least even if he's not going to pan out like maybe he will and it's like makes me feel invested in the team to think that this guy could be part of part of the, the future where we know Mike Moustakis, the Mike Moustakis of the world are not part of the future. 
Can I just say very quickly, I brought my son to school today and he was wearing a Rocky shirt, right? And this is in Brooklyn. There aren't many Rockies fans. And the father of one of his classmates was wearing a Rockies hat because I'm pretty sure he's from Denver. And they met each other and they were very excited. It was a good day for Rockies <laughs> fans, at least in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> um, well, my, my guy for this week was before last night most known for a moment that he had at Coors Field in Colorado. How's that for a segue? Um, but then last night made some news by robbing a, a game-tying Grand Slam home run in the ninth inning, which is pretty rad, if you ask me. And that player is Jesus Sanchez of the Miami Marlins. And I promise you, I'd plan to talk about him before he robbed that home run off the bat of Eugenio Suarez. The timing just turned out to be, to be perfect. Um, prior to last night, the play he was most famous for um, was last year – in Colorado, he hit a 496-foot home run, which is the fifth longest home run on record as recorded by StatCast. Of course, um, four of the top five happened <laughs> at uh, in Colorado. The first, famously, was Nomar Mazzara in Texas. Um, but uh, So I was actually watching the game last year when Sanchez hit the home run in Colorado, and I was like, who is this guy? I knew very little about it at the time. I kind of looked into him. You know, the He actually was originally signed by the Rays and came over from the Rays to the Marlins at the trade deadline in 2019. He was traded along with Ryan Stanek to the Rays for Trevor Richards and Nick Anderson, one of Mike's all-time favorite relievers, and along uh, uh, a, a much-discussed topic on this podcast in around the 2019-20 range when Nick Anderson was arguably the best reliever in baseball for for a period of time. I did not fully appreciate at the time until I looked into it how highly ranked of a pro pro prospect Jesus Sanchez was at the time. He was the, the, the Rays' number four prospect, according to MLB Pipeline at the time of the trade. And Pipeline MLB Pipeline had him as the number 39 overall prospect entering 2019. He was originally signed in 2014 by the uh, Marlins for $400,000, which is like the bonus of like a good a good prospect, you know, coming out, coming out of the Dominican Republic. And the thing about Sanchez is this year he's really started to put it together and the Marlins are, are playing well. And he's like a big part of the reason why obviously, obviously Luis Arise has gotten a lot of attention um, for her, you know, hitting close to 400 for most of the season, although he's in a, he's over his last 15, which is almost hard, for, hard to believe. Um, and Jorge Soler has been like his, the best version of himself, but Jesus Sanchez, despite missing um, three weeks with, uh, with a hamstring injury, has been fantastic. Hitting 270, 353, 514, expected weight on base of 385, which is like a real a real number, ranks 24th of players with at least 75 balls in play. Um, so it's good to see a player um, who, in my mind, at one point was just like, oh, here's like an oddity. This guy can hit it far, but like, does he have, is he really ever going to like make that a reality? Um, but he clearly has a big power tool. He's like 90th percentile arm strength. He's got a nice arm. Made that great catch last night. And a little bit of a, I think, an unsung hero of the, the Marlins' success this year. Uh, last year, you might remember, we kind of did a test run of StackCast tracking bat speed. You know, we just had like a little bit of data and he was pretty high on it. I remember that. And, you know, we, we, there will be more to come on that in the future. But I remember thinking, oh, that's not necessarily the guy I would have expected last year on that bat speed metric. And then I looked up what he's doing this year. He is destroying fastballs. He has a 348 average and a 696 slug against four seam fastballs. Like you cannot beat him with velocity. The rest of it, the breaking stuff, you know, that might come in time. Uh, but, it, you know, it's funny. We we have not been positive, let's say, optimistic about the Miami 
Miami offense for some time. And obviously Arise has been fantastic. Um, but going into the season, there were you know two guys I was looking at is if there's any two guys on this team I think may take a step forward. I mean, I guess Jazz Chisholm, but he, he's hurt again. Um, Brian De La Cruz was on everybody's breakout list and he's been pretty good and jesus sanchez who you know for all the reasons you just said was somebody who stuck out to me is yeah i think i think he could still be a guy because you can see a future where the miami outfield is de la cruz chisholm and sanchez and it's like that hey that's not bad you know with with a rise in the infield and obviously the rest of the infield has some problems and the catching is a total mess um they need Sandy Alcantara to get his ERA money. <laughs> so you're right. It's weird to say, I don't know about the pitching, but the offense looks okay. Alcantara had a good start the other night. Yuri Perez had a fantastic start last night. So like, I mean, I think they're, they're legit playoff contenders. It's hard. You can't, you can't write them off right now. I mean, as it is, you know, if the season started today, they would be in the playoffs. They're seven games over 500. I mean, the biggest red flag is that they have a negative 30 run differential, which suggests that maybe there's some, some weirdness going on. But at least there's, you know, there are these guys like Sanchez, young players seem to be coming into their own that make you think like, oh, this isn't just a collection of like kind of randos. This is the core of like what could be like a pretty good team. Nolan Jones and Jesus Sanchez, definitely guys having good seasons. I both hope they succeed. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.